Well, good morning. It is great to see all of you here today. Let's begin with a riddle. What do puppies, babies, teenagers, soldiers, and everyone who works for you, what do they need to do? Now, obviously, with the puppies and the babies, they need to learn when and where to go to the restroom. That's part of the goal. That varied group, what is the one common thing for all of them? The word obedience. The word obedience. We are training a puppy. You're raising a kid. You've got employees. You're a student. You're a, a teacher. You're a coach. You're a boss. Learning how to do what you're told to do is absolutely crucial to everything in your life. We're in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 this morning. We are continuing our series, God's Game Plan for Your Life, and we're going to talk about something that has its tentacles into every part of your existence, and how we do with this is going to determine so, so much of our life. And I want to begin with this, obey God. If uh, that's the thrust of everything we're going to talk about this morning is being obedient to God, obeying God. Now, listen to me. Uh, obedience is an issue that you will never outgrow. It's never an issue that you can get around properly. A lot of us are trying to get around obeying God. We have our own version of how God wants us to do things. Some of us, I don't think so, but I mean, occasionally there's people that think that they have arrived and that they have hit the obedience button and they never have to go to it again. That's not true. In fact, obedience will be something we're challenged with as long as we have a functioning mind. Uh, And so here's here's the, the big thing God tells us in this verse. Take God's word in and do it. Take God's word into your life and do it. Look in verse 9. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you have heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. The the church at Philippi that that God was using Paul to write this letter to originally, they weren't uh, struggling with doctrinal issues. They weren't struggling like the, the book of Colossians that comes after this. They were struggling with some of the things they believed about Christ. They weren't struggling with this in Philippi. Their issue was probably what a lot of our issues are today. It's not that we don't understand it. It's living it out. It's it's taking it in and responding to it. The, the New Testament was rig, originally written in Greek, and it was a very expressive language. And I want to walk you through this verse. And, and the words used are so powerful. This is a verse you could read in five seconds. But it's a verse that you could meditate on the rest of your life. It, he begins with the word keep. You see that? Keep putting into practice. The word keep is, is crucial to this. It means continue to do something. It is a, a, a verb of continuation that you're going to keep doing something. Keep putting into practice. The word practice there, and he's talking about obedience, is literally a word that means to do something or to perform. Now, it doesn't mean perform in a theatrical, or you might say, well, that's kind of being fake or whatever. No, it, it means that the Christian life is something you are to do. It is something like a ball player performs or or the band or the cheerleaders perform. You are to go out and you are to do these things. Keep putting into practice. Then he uses four verbs that come after this. It's be easy to look at these words and to miss again the depth of them because these words are powerful. He begins with the word learned. The word learned in, in the Bible means to desire something or to understand it. But listen, it means to bring it into our experience. 
That's different than just intellectual or academic learning. It's to, he's saying, I want you to learn this and bring it into your experience. Then he uses the word to receive. And to receive means to take it in you and take it with you. Folks, listen, the goal this morning is for you to tell me, man, you are handsome and that was a great sermon. That'd be wonderful. No, that's not the goal. The goal actually is for you and I to take what we hear today and leave with it and do something with it. Does that make sense? That's what God's saying. I want you to I want you to hear it. I want you to receive it into your life and take it with you. How many of you have ever had a test that you didn't study until the day before? Every honest person in here. Uh, that, that made it past second grade. We know that's true. I mean, I got my dad so mad one time when I was in college, he said, son, are you spending a lot of time at the library? And I said, dad, do they have a library at this university? Oh, he blew up. But everybody knows what it's like to just, um, to just the night before, and you know, you got 20 definitions. You got to learn. It's what you do. You go memorize them and you know them, you spit it out. And three weeks later, you have no idea what you learned. Correct? See, that's what we do with God. That's what God's saying don't do. God's saying, I, I want you to do more than just this, an academic knowledge. And you get rote facts down. I want you to learn it and take it with you. The next word he uses here is the word heard, what you heard. And that is not only to hear with your mind, it's to, it's to hear with your ear to perform something. Again, every word, all these four verbs are talking about hearing, learning, receiving, and then acting on it. And the last word he uses the word saw, what you saw in me. I like this. It's to see not only with the eye, but to see with the mind of the eye. It is to be inclined to do something with it. God's telling us this morning, here's the goal of Christianity. And if you're not a Christian, the first thing is being obedient and surrendering your life to Christ. We pray you'll do that this morning if you never have. If you are a Christian, your life is to be obedient to Jesus Christ. To take it in, sermons, Bible studies, what you read when you go to Bible studies during the week or connection groups, books you read as you talk to other people, take it in and live it out. Now, here's, here's Jesus' day, Paul's day. Y'all remember a group called the Pharisees? The Pharisees were extremely good at taking it in and not living it out, right? I mean, these guys could argue the Bible with you, and they would beat you every time. I'm afraid a little bit in our culture today, we have taken that mentality back. That we're going to take it in, take it in, take it in, listen to sermon, listen to the podcast, listen to this, listen. We're going to argue about it. It just doesn't change our life. I want you to see a video that I think cutely illustrates what God's trying to get us not to do anymore. What's the deal? What? I told you three days ago to clean your room. I know. Well, I'm glad you know. It's a mess. I memorized what you said. What do you mean you memorized what I said? Every word. Wait, you memorized that I told you to clean your room? Yes. 
And I learned how to say it in Spanish and in Hebrew. And if you want to know how to say it in Spanish, it's Yo Limpio El Dormitorio. That's, that's what, that's Spanish. 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 Okay. And I um, read a book. It's called Five Ways to Clean Your Room. It just really helped me to understand, like, what you said. And it was really life-changing. It was awesome. And I had friends from my small group over. It was so good. We talked about, like, the importance of a clean room and, like, what it's like to have a clean room and, like, how you should have a clean room. It was so so good it was absolutely incredible and Susie came over you remember yeah she came over and we like mapped it out on a sheet of paper on what my room would have been like if I when I did clean it and it looked really good like it, everything was really precise uh okay well um, keep up the <laughs> keep up the good work thanks I love you Keep holding me accountable. Yeah. <laughs> is that spot on or is that spot on? Okay, I am a thousand percent for the Bible studies, for all that, memorizing scripture. In fact, I'm heartbroken every week when we go over our memory, memory verse because our churches can't do it. But you got to live it out. That's what he's trying to get to. Folks, verse 9, here's the passion of it. You get the clear intentionality that you cannot miss and the intensity that our call is to be obedient to God, is to obey God. Now, let me ask you a question. Am I obeying God? Am I being obedient to God in my life? I want to give you a little test. Let's take a test together. I've been able to take it this week because I had the study notes early. And uh, I'm going to touch on several things that are uh, probably apropos to many of us. God may uh, bring other things to your mind. That's why I always encourage you to take notes. But let's kind of walk through this. Let's, Let's test ourselves and see how obedient we're being to God in, in these areas. Number one, does God got you 100%? First level of obedience, does God have you 100%? I've just finished reading the, the Old Testament, and it always amazes me. Here's kind of the pattern a lot of times with the Old Testament kings. One's really bad and sinful. He ends up getting whacked. God sends somebody to kill him. He's gone. And then another one comes in. A lot of times they'll say that this king loved God and he served God and he was faithful. And then there'll be like a little small place that'll say, but he did not remove the high places. And you're going, what? I don't care about that. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that that king, the high places were places of Baal and evil worship. And then he did right 98%, but he left that 2% hanging. I wondered this morning, I mentioned to our parents a little while ago, Matthew 22, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I wonder, honestly, are you obeying God? Does God have you 100%? Do you got some secret areas that you're hiding and keeping from God? Because I'm going to obey God 95%. And by the way, 95 is an A at any school. God's 100. Remember that. Is, Is God first? Number two, do you really love people? You really love people. Jesus said after loving God, it's loving people. 
Do, do you really, are you obeying God in the way you love other people? Here's the third thing. Do you forgive others? You know, it's always funny to me to see Christians with a big Bible, and I have a big Bible, and maybe they've got like some notebooks and other things, and, and they're just really hateful. Have you ever noticed, isn't that, isn't that a turn on to see someone with a big Bible who's, who's spiteful and mean and unforgiving? You, you, you can't hang on. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. It doesn't mean you have to get back with someone or be buddies again. But I cannot say I'm going to love God and be obedient to God if there's people that I'm not going to forgive. It's just not, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. Number four, and again, these go together. Does God have your time? Does God have your time? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God first, and then everything else will fall together. If you were to look at your calendar, does your calendar show that God's number one? I mean, is your time prioritized by him? How much time do you spend reading your Bible or praying? You're in church, which is awesome, or in church versus watching TV, surfing the Internet, playing, doing other things. And those other things are fine to do, but, but has God got your time? It, would God be the, the number one when it comes to your time? Here's a fifth thing. What about your church life? Again, if you're not a Christian, we want you to cross that line this morning. But if you're a Christian, how are you doing with church? How would you say uh, is a priority? The church is the body of Christ. Organized religion like we're doing today is, is God's idea. And you're doing it, which is awesome. You know, I, I think it's very interesting. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are given. Did you know the commandment that gets more verbiage than anything else? I would have thought it would be the adultery thing, wouldn't you? Or, or, you know, love God first or whatever. It, it's, it's the honor of the Sabbath. It gets more words than any other of the commandments. And, and we believe the Sabbath day, the day of rest and worship in the New Testament transferred to Sunday. In American Christianity, church has become something we do if it works for our schedule. Now, I'm closing my eyes, so I'm not looking at anybody, but just to ask yourself, is church your priority as a Christian? Hebrews 10, 25, he says, don't forsake assembling together. That's not talking about having a bagel and talking about Jesus at McDonald's, which is good. That's talking about Christians coming together to worship. Do we work church around our hunting, our sports, our ball games? Vacations are great, but if you're taking 32 a year and missing church every time, maybe you need to back up a little bit. How are you obeying God when it comes to your church life? And see, now here's, here's what I want to say to you humbly. I'm not making any of this stuff up. It all comes from the book. So if you're saying, well, Chris is just throwing out stuff. No, I'm not. This isn't subjective. What about this? Do you share your faith? If you're a Christian, do you tell people about Jesus? That's the call for every person who is a believer. I get tickled when I hear some Christians say, well, I don't evangelize. I'm more of a discipler. The Great Commission is go, win, baptize, and disciple. We're all called to do that. Can, I mean, think about that. When you say that you're not going to share your faith and you're a Christian, you're saying, hey, I know people who are lost without Christ and going to hell, but I'm not going to tell them. Hey, that guy over at the other table is fixing to take a bite of a hamburger with arsenic in him, but oh, that's not my gift. I'm not going to tell him. You ought to go to jail. I, do you share your faith? Not an optional thing. 
How, how are we doing obedience there? Let me make you really squirm. Has God got your money? Someone wrote me a note, a funny note in the first service. They said, I like two of the things you said, but that money thing was a, kind of neutralized the rest of it. Do you make your money honestly? See, sometimes as a Christian, you thought I was going to just talk about tithing. I'll get around to it. But you cheat people. You take advantage of people. You overcharge. You underpay. That's, that's being disobedient to God. You pay your bills. I sure like people paying me. You pay your bills. Are you a good steward? Are you generous? Do you tithe to your church? Again, if you're not a Christian, don't worry. I'm not talking to you. If you are a Christian, we can talk about this after church. But, but tithing is a biblical principle. Where does that, that's 10%. Where does it go? It goes to your church. If this is your church or wherever it is. People say, well, I don't tithe. I give to this missionary or this cause or this cause. That's great. Man, give to those causes. Your tithe goes, should go to your church. Well, I don't like the preacher. Well, tithe anyway. Maybe he'll get better. <laughs> I don't like the music. Tithe. We'll buy better guitars. <laughs> don't blame your disobedience on me or someone else. How, does God got you financially? That's, that's a tough thing. Are you humble? What about that? You know, one of the things in Jesus' day, the religious people, they were very snooty. And they looked down on other people. Watch people. Listen, when you're talking to someone and you see their head start doing like this at you, that is a body language that's saying, I am much, much, much better than you. Are you humble? You, you, you can't live in pride and be living obediently to Christ. Are you honest? Are you honest? Well, I'm a good Christian. I just lie some. You fudge a little bit. You're late to work occasionally, but you don't say that to the boss. A lot of us, especially as Christians, we're not going to flat out lie. We just manipulate. We're just a little dishonest. We just kind of rig things and cheat a little bit and... And, and fudge things. Listen, God holds us to a real high level of honesty. What about your marriage? Are you obeying God in your marriage? You obeying God in your marriage? Men, let's start with you. Do you love your wife? Do you love your wife? The Bible says that I'm to love her like Christ loved the church. And that's, that's pretty tough, isn't it? That's real tough. I mean, because... Jesus was willing to die for the church. Men, are you a bully? Now, obviously, if you're physically a bully, you need to go to jail. I'll come see you, but I'm going to turn you in if I hear about it. I mean, that's just, you should. Stop it. But you don't have to be physical to be a bully because you're bigger. You can intimidate your wife or you can bull rush her verbally. Stop it. That's not obedience to Christ. Ladies, do you follow your husbands? Some of you are saying, well, if he wasn't a bully, I'd follow him. And he's saying, if she wasn't a jerk, I'd love her. Both of you, stop it. Ladies, follow him. That comes from the book. Ladies, men, love your wives. Okay, here's a good part. Now, you who aren't married, just take notes because this will be important later. Did you know that you can be disobedient in marriage about your marriage sex life? Did you know that? I had 18 men thank me after church for this. You know, the Bible said when you got married, your body is not your own. Did you know that? And that, that now, 
it's not always the case. Sometimes it's men, but a lot of times the man wants sex more than the woman does, and she withholds it because it becomes a reward and punishment system. That's wrong. And men, if you're doing it, that's wrong. Obey God in your marriage. Love each other. Be sexually attentive to each other. Are you? Again, you have a thousand excuses why you're not, but none of them mesh up with God. Are you obeying God in your dating life? If you're married and you have a dating life, you're not obeying God. <laughs> you young people, you not-so-young people who are single, are you, you're a Christian. Are you dating a Christian? Well, no, but they're really sweet. Break up with them. Are you dating a committed Christian? Well, not really, but, you know, they were baptized and they say they like the Bible. Break up with them. Their commitment is going to get worse when you get married, not better. How many women, especially, will marry some goofball because he comes to church with me, and then you get married, he never goes again. I have seen that happen a thousand times. Are you, are you obeying God in your, your dating life? God's telling you in your heart you need to break up with that person. Obey him. Obey God. This would go, I guess, with a lot of what I've said. What about your sex life? You obeying God in your sex life. If you're dating, you're single, the way you obey God is don't, right? Parents, am I correct? Don't. You married people, are you obeying sexually with your spouse? Are you outside of the bounds of your marriage? Are you into pornography? I know you can say, well, everybody does it. Obey God. Are you being obedient sexually? What about your attitudes, are you, are you obedient to God in your attitude? See, see, some Christians are morally right, and that's great. You should be. But if you're morally righteous and you're negative and you're cynical and you're rebellious, that is disobedience. That is sin. Is your attitude positive? Are you submissive to the people you need to be submissive to? Are, are, are you the right kind of person in your attitudes? And here's the last thing. The Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now about some issues. Some, like, like in my life right now, there, there's no big issue that he is. He, this time next week, he may be driving me crazy. <laughs> Are you going to obey God what he's telling you? you? You know what it is. I don't. Are you going to obey God about that issue? All of us have a test that we're enduring regularly. Will you be intentional and intense in your obedience to God? And let me tell you how this all comes together. A whole lot is at stake on my obedience. How, how you and how I obey God, man, the stakes are so, so high. Let me give you a, a couple of things here. You please or displease God based on your obedience. We've got some verses in John. I want to read these to you. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will do what? Obey my commandments, John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me doesn't obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is what is from the Father who sent me. And we go to John chapter 15, 14. You are my friends if what? You do what I command. L listen to me for a second. You parents know this is true. You coaches and teachers, you know this is true. And, and you young people, if you lead people, 
It doesn't matter how sweet someone is. It doesn't matter how talented they are, how gifted they are. If they can just charm you with their charisma. It doesn't matter how much they know. If they don't obey you and you're leading them, everybody's miserable. I'll just use my daughter over here. When she was in high school, when she was not obedient, it didn't matter what else she did, it didn't make up for that. You've got that, you're telling her to do something, but she she would. She'd come around and be obedient. What I'm trying to say, in life, you can't please the people you're supposed to please if you're not obeying them. You cannot. Nothing makes up for it. Please hear me on this. No matter how loud you sing, well you teach, well you preach, Bible you quote, you and I cannot please God without obedience. The flip side of that, I may fail in a thousand ways in my life, but if I'm obeying God, I'm pleasing God. How I please and displease God is based on this. Here's the next thing. My witness and example are at stake. Man, how I affect other people is going to come down to how I obey God largely. Let's look again at verse 9. Paul says in here, not perfectly, but he said, what you've received and you've seen me do, you do it. Folks, listen. How you obey God, how intentionally and, and with positive intensity you obey God your children your grandchildren your friends the people in your sphere of influence are going to be impacted they are going to watch what you do far more than what you say how we obey God has a tremendous impact uh, on our witness and our example and on other people here's the third thing that success in every area of my life is at stake here you, well, you say well maybe pastor you're overstating it I'm, I'm not overstating it he says practice these things keep doing these things guys how you obey God is going to determine how effective you're going to be in life period It's going to affect everything. In fact, it can even affect your your very physical existence here on this earth. In California, almost every summer, they have these terrible wildfires. And I don't understand that because I've never lived in that environment. But some family and friends that do say it's just incredible. These fires can be 50 miles away. The wind can shift, and they can be on you almost instantly. And it's not like, you know, we would think, well, the firemen can go and put the fire out. But they can't do that with these fires like that. And they were interviewing one of the, the fire chiefs in, in, a, in a city area where these fires were coming in. And they were asking him about it, and he was very frustrated. He goes, we tell these people, go to your home, get your dog, get your kids, not necessarily in that order, but get, get the living things in your house, out of your house, and leave immediately. And they won't do it. They go home and they pack and they act like they're getting ready for uh, a six-month vacation. And here's what he said. The people who don't obey have died. Folks, the reason some of us are living in a pool of frustration today is because we have not obeyed God in our life. You can't get around it. Hannah White Wallsmith was a wonderful Quaker lady, lived in the 1800s, and she wrote a lot of great things. Here's one thing she said, perfect obedience leads to perfect happiness. Now, she didn't mean perfect like you never sin. What she meant was is that when you decide you're going to obey God completely and consistently with your life, that's where you're going to find the life that you really want. 
And lastly, here's what the Bible says. God's peaceful presence in my life is at stake. Here's a profound little thing right at the end of the verse. He tells us all these things. Obey me, obey me, obey me. And then he says, the God of peace will be with you. Now, we're not going to look at it, but if you backed up two verses... It's talking about don't worry, pray, and then it says, and the peace of God will be with you. Two verses later, he says, obey God, and the God of peace will be with you. What what does this mean? If you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you. The Bible says he's never going to fail you nor forsake you, so it's a little complicated. God's never going to abandon you. But what he's saying here, the word peace means his rest, an undisturbed peace of mind. That little conjunction in verse 9, God, the, God, the, the God of peace will be with you means he will accompany you, his companionship. He's saying this, as you live obediently, God's presence and his power will be on your life and in your life. Here's what I found out as a Christian. When I get away from God, When I get out of God's will, big way or little way, I begin to have an uneasiness in my spirit. I can quench that. Some of you can say, well, I don't have that anymore. That's a real bad sign. But you start feeling that uneasiness. You know why? Because when we live disobediently, God begins to lift his hand off our life. He begins, that peace that he gives us begins an uneasiness. And that power and that joy that we had begins to leave our lives. And God says, listen, live obediently. So my peace and my presence and my blessings can be on your life. Folks, that's pretty high stakes, isn't it? To have God's presence and peace in our life. Take this home with you this morning. God wants us to be intentional and intense in our obeying him with our life. Nike summed it up as well as it could have been by their slogan. Just do it. Let's just do what God is telling us to do. Will you pray with me? Christian, you you examine your heart right now. What's God telling you? What do you need to do? And will you step out and do it? This morning you're here and you're not a Christian or you're unsure If you're ready, and I plead with you to do this, give your life to Christ today. Pray with me where you are and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept you're God's son, and you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus, and I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. What we're going to do, we're going to stand in just a second. Maybe today you, you just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life. Are you ready to do that? Big step. But when we stand, you come today. Obey God. Give your life to Him this morning. One of these ministers can help you with that. Maybe you'd like to join our church today. We would love to for you to you can join after church. Or you can come when we stand and join us. God's leading you to do it. It's an act of obedience. Obey God. Christian, some of you are doing great. Keep it up because it's going to be a tension the rest of our lives. Keep it up. Others of us, we know we're out of God's will. Or maybe there's just that vague lack of peace. Where you're standing or at the altar, Christian, today, 
get things back right with God. Say yes to Him. Make the choice to obey. Let's stay.